Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 86 of the Bible in 90 Days. Today we'll move through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Yes, that's six whole books, so hang on to your seat. All of these, by the way, are letters, as we've become accustomed to over the last few episodes. 1st Thessalonians 1. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Paul's next words, which probably won't surprise you, are these. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. It's worth noting that Paul's initial visit to Thessalonica, Acts 17, didn't turn out so well. He and Silas had to sneak out of town by night. Apparently, however, the gospel did take root. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. In 1 Thessalonians 2, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, Paul makes note of the challenge ministry in Thessalonica has been. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul speaks briefly of his missionary tactics, noting, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people. Instead, we were like young children among you. While working among the people, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This included supporting themselves rather than depending on local support. Paul then expresses deep gratitude to the courage of believers who had embraced the gospel not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God in the face of strong resistance. The final words in the chapter express Paul and his companions' intense longing to visit the church. 1 Thessalonians begins with Paul explaining that when it proved impossible to make it, they sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Timothy also went in order to find out about your faith because Paul was concerned that the church might have succumbed to temptation. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? The chapter concludes with a prayer for for the believers in Thessalonica to flourish in their faith. 1 Thessalonians 4, another chapter well worth reading, turns to other matters, urging the believers to live in order to please God more and more. Then Paul urges sexual purity, noting, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Then Paul turns to other counsel after commending them for their love for one another. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, 
so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. In the final verses in the chapter, which you must read, Paul offers encouragement to believers who had lost friends and loved ones to death, including these words, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. First Thessalonians finds Paul counseling the church about the coming of Jesus. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Then Paul urges the believers to be awake and sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul's final instructions include urging deep respect for those who care for you in the Lord. He also urges, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong and rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, among additional one-line instructions, before offering a brief prayer for the church, sending his greetings, and then signing off. And now we're into 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1. His opening lines are almost identical to those in 1 Thessalonians. And then, as you might expect, he shares how much he prays for the church because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Paul then speaks briefly about the coming destruction of the wicked and then prays again for the church, including this, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. 2 Thessalonians 2, a chapter well worth reading, addresses the second coming warning the church not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, asserting that the day of the Lord has come already. Why? Because there were events that must occur before the coming of Jesus could take place. Specifically, the man of lawlessness must be revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Paul then gives further details. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. This lawless power would work in accordance with how Satan works, using all sorts of displays of power, deceiving those who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Paul concludes the chapter by noting God's providence among the Thessalonians and encouraging them to stand firm and then offers a beautiful benediction. 2 Thessalonians 3 begins with Paul asking for prayers, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, and that they may be delivered from wicked and evil people. Paul then spends several lines urging the believers to be diligent in their work, reminding them of the rule, the one who is unwilling to work 
shall not eat. And that's pretty much it. Now we're heading into 1 Timothy, the first of four letters Paul wrote to specific individuals rather than a church. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. His letter is written to give guidance to this young, growing minister working in Ephesus at the time. Paul informs his young apprentice, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. Then Paul shifts topics slightly, reminding Timothy of the law's purpose. For lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, etc., Paul soon transitions to a note of gratitude for God's providence in his own life. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. And this beautiful confession, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul ends this short testimony with deep adoration. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The rest of the chapter explains in a bit more detail the purpose of his letter. In 1 Timothy 2, we find Paul beginning his instruction to Timothy with a reminder, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why pray for this? Because God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul then gives instruction for men and women, including that men pray without anger or disputing, and that women dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves with good deeds. Paul spends the last verses of the chapter briefly expounding on this line. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. 1 Timothy 3 outlines qualifications for overseers and deacons. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Then Paul notes several qualities these individuals need to possess, including a well-managed family and having a good reputation with outsiders. Deacons were also to be worthy of respect and keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They were also to be tested before taking on the role of deacon. Paul notes that those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Paul finishes the chapter by addressing again the purpose of his letter. 1 Timothy 4 finds Paul transitioning to some theological matters, warning against those who forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. He also warns Timothy to have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Timothy was to command and teach these things letting no one look down on him because of his young age. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 
1 Timothy 5 begins, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Then Paul gives guidance on caring for needy widows, his instruction corresponding to the age of the widow, whether younger or older. This counsel also included anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The older widows cared for were to have a good reputation and the younger widows were encouraged to remarry. Paul then gives counsel for the remuneration of local elders who direct the affairs of the church and that an accusation against an elder must not be entertained unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. An elder found to be sinning was to be publicly reproved. Before the end of the chapter, Paul warns Timothy not to show partiality. 1 Timothy 6 begins with counsel to slaves, notably that slaves of believing masters should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. After commenting on false teachers, Paul observes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Then a few lines down, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In the final verses of the book, Paul urges, fight the good fight of the faith. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, after brief counsel on how to instruct the wealthy, Paul comes to the final lines. Beginning, Timothy Guard what has been entrusted to your care. And that's all for 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, as the name suggests, is a second letter written by Paul to Timothy, my dear son. 2 Timothy 1, early in the letter, Paul notes his constant prayers for Timothy and that, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This letter is to encourage Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds his young student that he, that is God, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He also instructs him to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. The chapter ends with Paul commenting briefly on specific individuals. 2 Timothy 2 continues Paul's encouragement to Timothy, including the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Some lines down, Paul refers to his imprisonment while also noting God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul includes counsel on dealing with false teachers, noting that the Lord knows those who are his. Timothy is challenged to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's also reminded that opponents must be gently instructed. 
2 Timothy 3, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins with a stark warning. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, etc. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. His warning continues for several lines, observing that their folly will be clear to everyone. Paul then encourages Timothy, after noting the challenges believers face, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, another chapter well worth reading, begins with a charge to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And also these words. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Then Paul declares, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul then comments on several individuals, some of whom are enemies of the cause and others supporters. He also comments on his first defense. Remember, Paul's a prisoner. And then ends the book with a few final greetings. And that's it for 2 Timothy. Now we're in Titus. Titus is another one of Paul's students, also referred to as my true son in our common faith. Titus 1. Paul begins by explaining, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then describing the qualifications of an elder. After this, Paul gives instruction on dealing with rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group who are after dishonest gain. Paul also notes that Cretans have some bad habits and instructs, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Titus 2 finds Paul providing guidance on how Titus ought to teach sound doctrine. He has given counsel for the older men and older women. He's also given counsel for the young men, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, and finally, counsel for the slaves. And then there are these words, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Titus 3, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins with counsel to be subject to rulers and authorities, be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Paul also notes the power of the gospel. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
Titus is then encouraged to avoid foolish controversies because these are unprofitable and useless. Paul wraps up the book with some final comments and then, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And that's the end of Titus. Philemon, our last book in this marathon highlight session, read it. It's all of 25 verses from beginning to end. The letter is written by Paul while a prisoner to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. In the letter, Paul expresses deep gratitude for this fellow worker, noting that I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul also declares, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. The major reason for the letter, however, is an appeal from Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is sending back Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, to his master, Philemon. That's right, the Philemon to whom the letter is written. And in the letter, Paul essentially appeals to this Philemon to receive his slave, returning slave, with kindness and to treat him no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Before signing off with final greetings, Paul asks, Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And that's all for today.